So tonight we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, continuing our series through 1 Corinthians. So if you need a Bible because you want to follow along, and you should follow along, please raise your hand, and we have some volunteers passing out Bibles to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it's kind of near the back of the Bible, if that helps you find it. But um, I just want to say, while the Bibles are being passed out, you know, this is always like, I don't know what to say, Bible's being passed out. But I have stuff to talk about this time, so I'm excited. One is that, uh, yeah, like FAU making the uh, underdog story. Yeah, I went to FAU. Yeah, go Owls, right? You guys don't care about it. All right, cool. Um, <laughs> I, I actually, I don't want to fool any of you into thinking that I'm like into, you know, school sports and whatever. Sorry, I just don't have any school spirit, but I like to just say, yeah, I went to FAU and they're doing awesome. I don't know how they're doing tonight, but hopefully they win. Uh, I don't know. What sport are they playing again? Um, anyway, the second thing I wanted to talk about was the fact that um, 6 m is doing a mission trip, and I am so excited for this opportunity for you guys. Real quick, I'll just say, I just got back from kind of like a mission trip of sorts um, in Africa, and I can tell, if I can tell you one thing about being in middle school or being in high school and doing a mission trip, it's that it's so, so impactful for your spiritual uh, well-being, for your relationship with Jesus to grow. I really highly, highly encourage, if you can, please try to go on this mission trip. Um, I know it's expensive, but pray about it. Talk to your parents about it. Talk to the youth leaders here. They can help you um, make a strategy for how to fundraise that $1,300, because I know that can be scary to look at. But if you look past that and you see the value in doing something outside of your comfort zone for the Lord, serving another group of people um, in a different culture, really, really, truly, I cannot stress enough how much of a growth element that is for your faith. If you feel stuck, if you feel like, man, I don't really know if I can believe in what I believe in, I'm telling you, pray and, and see if you should go on this mission trip because it, it can change your life if you, if you just walk in faith in that. So highly encourage that along with everything else that um, we're doing here. But we, uh, we got 1 Corinthians in front of us and the title of my teaching tonight is All to the Glory of God. All to the Glory of God. And one of my favorite verses is, uh, is here in 1 Corinthians 10, which we're gonna read later on. But let's pray one more time so that um, again, I can prepare my heart and we can prepare our hearts together as we look at the word of God. So Lord, thank you that your word is, is open to us and that you've given us the ability to, to read it and, and the Holy Spirit in us helping to explain these things, helping to teach us what you mean. Jesus, I pray that your, your word would be elevated tonight, that we would look to you and see you in it and see how you reveal your glory through um, through your word, through, through living and dwelling inside of us, through things that happen in our life, um, Lord. So please, please, please be with us in this time. Bless this study, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so have you ever lived through something that you're like, man, I wish I could go back and tell the younger version of me what to, what to do in that situation. Like, man, if I could go back in time and tell younger Alex uh, a couple of life lesson advice things, man, what would I say? You know, what would you say to your younger self? I mean, I'd tell myself, hey, you should definitely invest in that Bitcoin because it's going to go up, 
or before COVID, like, hey, get in on the housing market now while it's low, those low interest rates. Um, or even with COVID, I'd be like, hey, you know, honestly, like, just, just live your life, man. Don't, don't worry about things. Like, they're going to shut everything down. Don't panic. It's just going to be a little bit, and then you're going to make it through. Um, but what would you say to yourself if you could go back and give some advice to your younger self? You know, think about that. And, and then think about, man, are there people in your life now, parents or mentors or youth leaders, who have lived through life, who are perhaps wanting to explain to you, hey, I've lived through something similar to what you're experiencing now, and, and I have some advice to tell you about how to get through that, about what to do, about how, how you're feeling and all that, and, and how God is, is working through that. Well, tonight uh, in, in 1 Corinthians, Paul writes um, some examples from the, ancient, uh, or from the Israelites back in the Old Testament times. He writes, hey, some things happened to them, and ultimately it was for our example. The things that happened to them, it was so that we could learn from their mistakes, learn what, what to do, what not to do. And so tonight, that's where we, we pick it up. Um, let's go ahead and start reading in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10. Actually, before we read verse 1, I want to read the last verse. Um, like I said, the verse that's important to me. So 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 10, 31. And it says, this is a preface for my teaching. This is a premise for everything tonight. Therefore, verse 31, therefore, whatever, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And again, that is the title of this teaching tonight. So now, with that in mind, let's read verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10. It says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all ate the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. So last week we learned that um, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we learned about Christian liberty, about, um, about not using your freedom uh, uh, it, like in a way that makes someone else stumble, right? Not eating meat that was sacrificed to idols um, and then that causing other people to stumble. And then 1 Corinthians 9 ended with Paul talking about striving for a crown, uh, relating the, our faith to a race. Like you're running a race and you don't want to be disqualified um, disqualified from receiving the prize, much like in our Christian faith. We want to live a holy life so that we don't get disqualify ourselves. And now in, in chapter 10, he starts talking, hey, there were some Israelites who, though they had all the right things on the outside, they drank the same the, uh, drinks, they ate the same food, they were in the wilderness, they were baptized, they had everything right on the outside. But Paul is going to say, but God was still not pleased with them. So how can you have everything right on the outside? You know, in, t in our context today, it may look like you go to church all the time. 
You go to a Christian school, you memorize Bible verses, you pray before every meal, you've been baptized, you're serving here, you're serving in Calvary Kids. You have everything right on the outside, but still something may be off. It's possible to go through the motions in Christianity. It is possible. I, I did it for much of my youth, going through the motions, coming to church, pretending like I actually cared what was happening here. But on the inside, my heart was still dark. My heart was still broken. And it, it took a while for, for me to realize um, that I, I needed Jesus personally, and that it wasn't enough to just go through the motions, that I needed him to be Lord and Savior of my life. So I want to I wanna caution you. It's, a, it's possible for you to appear to have everything together on the outside, but still, still be lacking something on the inside, something spiritual, something, something holy on the inside. It's possible. It's not, it's not a good thing that we, we should do that, but I'm saying it is possible to, to live that way. Paul will have us not live that way by showing us the example of the Israelites here. So verse 6 now. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things or not desire evil things as they also lusted. And do not become idolaters as some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our, our admonition, or for our instruction, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So now Paul is talking, hey, they had everything together on the outside, but still God wasn't pleased with them. And the reason why he wasn't pleased with them is because they were given over to idolatry. They were given over to idols. They were worshiping false gods. They were trusting in their own strength. They were, they were not obeying the voice of God as spoken through Moses. And so God was, was not well pleased with them, the Bible says. And so I think about what, what are, are some of our idols today? You know, because back then, they literally had idols that were statues. And picture a golden statue here on stage. All right, that's easy. That's an idol, right? I'm not going to bow down to that thing. But what are our idols today that we worship? You know, think, think with me on this. Could it, be, could it be things that you own? Could it be influence that you have, popularity that you have? Could it be things that you don't have, that you're striving after? You know, you want success. You want money. So you're striving after those things. Those things may be idols to you. Many times our idols tend to be ourselves. We want to please ourselves. We want to do what we want to do, and we don't want anyone to tell us not to do what we want to do. And so we become our own idols, um, endlessly pursuing our own desires and, and never being satisfied with them. But back then, their idolatry was, was very evident, and, and Paul is referencing um, Exodus chapter 32, 
where you guys, we just went through Exodus last year, so I hope you guys are familiar with, um, with the part of scripture that he's referring to here about the golden calf. You guys remember this? How the Israelites were um, based uh, at the, the base of a mountain, right? And Moses goes up on top of that mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from God, to get God's instructions for, here's, how you, here's the beginning of the law. Here's God's standard for holiness given to Moses. While Moses was up on that mountain, all right, the rest of the Israelites were at, at a camp at the base of the mountain, and they were like, where's Moses? Like, he just left us, and, and now we're going to die in this wilderness. We don't know where he is. They started to panic and freak out. So what they did is they're like, well, we got we to gotta make our own God because we don't know where Moses went. We don't know where, uh, where he took God or like where God took him. So we're going to make our own idol so that we can have a little bit more peace, a little bit more security because we're feeling really anxious and confused right now. So they get all this, all this gold together, melt it down, and make a calf, and they worship it. I mean, how, how silly is that? Like, just because you... Just because you don't know where Moses was, now you're like, ah, I need to make a golden calf and worship it. Like, something doesn't, something doesn't add up there. But we do the same today with, with idols, just in a different way. And I think that, for me personally, um, I think that I have a tendency to look for idols and, and to, to give in to idolatry whenever I'm lacking in faith. And that's, that's one of my points tonight, is that we look for idols when we lack faith. You see, Israel only started to make that idol when they said to themselves, hey, we don't know where Moses went. We can't see him. We don't know what to do now. We're confused. We don't know which way to go. We don't, we don't even know if he abandoned us. They, they, were, they were lacking in faith, and so they made this idol to make up for that. And I think for me, I have the same tendency. If you're like me, maybe you've, maybe you've said some prayers Maybe you've asked God for some things and he hasn't delivered them. Maybe you've really, really been struggling with, can I believe that God hears my prayer? Can I believe that he's actually real? Because I'm asking him for this thing, but I'm not receiving an answer. Or maybe it's, it's some bad news that you get. Maybe like the worst news imaginable it just hits you. And it seems like it's overwhelming and like the weight of it is just crushing you. And you can't see past it. You can't see where God is in that. You can't see that he's, he's still got you. And so your faith starts to, to weaken or start to dwindle. And so you start to look to idols, to yourself, to, to other people, to, to things, to feelings, this is, this is a condition of the, the human heart, and we're, we're all susceptible to it. And I find myself in that situation sometimes of, I can't see God working in this situation. And what do I do with that? Well, I should walk in faith and believe God. Even though I can't see you, I know that you're still there. I know that you're real. 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7, I want to read this for you in this context, because this was really on my heart to share, because I really feel like there's, there's a tendency today to, to not talk about the struggle that happens when you, when you hope God shows up for something, you ask him to show up, or you're believing that he will show up, and it seems like that doesn't happen, and it's left, you're left confused, 
and wondering, is, is God even real? Is he even look at me? And so with that in mind, like, 1 Corinthians, uh, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 1 through 7, really ministered to my heart through this. And I want to share it with you. It says, I'll just read it for you. You can turn there if you like. Um, it says, for we know that this earthly tent we live in is destroyed. This earthly tent meaning our bodies. If this earthly tent that we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, though, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and we're burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with a heaven, heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now, the one who fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we live by faith and not by sight. Paul in 2 Corinthians in this chapter is, is acknowledging there's a struggle we groan, we cry out, we're burdened by, by this earthly body that we have. Sometimes it's physical, sometimes it's emotional and, and relational, but, but this isn't our home. This is just a tent, Paul is saying. It's, it's just a tent, it's a temporary dwelling. Our real home is heavenly. Our real, real home awaits for us at the end. But in the meantime, how do we how do we reconcile this? And it's verse seven, it says, we live by faith and not by sight. And so in those moments where you're like, man, is God even there? Like, is he, is he real? I just wanna encourage you. Yes, he is. He does see you and he does care for you. And even though, yeah, the heartache of, of asking or, or, or hoping he shows up and, and not seeing it right away, even though that's a real heartache, can't let that discourage us. We have to live by faith that his ways are higher, that he is looking out for us, that all things work together for the good of those who love him. And we can't always rely on what we see with our eyes or what we feel with our emotions, but sometimes we have to, to look past that. And I know it's hard to exercise that faith. It's so hard to exercise that faith, but it just takes a little bit. It just takes a little bit of faith and saying, God, I can't, I can't see you. Help me believe. And he'll show up. He'll answer. Let's move on. Verse, uh, verse 12 in 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Just a couple things with these verses here. The first thing is, if you think that you're strong enough to resist sin on your own and in your own strength, Paul's saying, watch out. Take heed, watch out. If you think you're strong, if you think you can resist sin on your own, watch out because you may be susceptible to falling into that sin. Watch out for that. Don't think too highly of yourselves. It's by the grace of God that I, that I am who I am today. That though I was once un, you know, an unredeemed 
sinner, lost in my ways. Today I stand redeemed in the grace of God. That is through him alone. It's not through works of my own. And we got to remember our battle with sin, our struggle with sin, it's not our own strength that it comes from, but it's through the grace of God. The victory is in Jesus, not in your own strength. So we have to remember that. Take heed. Watch out. If you think you can resist sin on your own, watch out. And the second thing is, God is not waiting to accuse you when you fall into sin. God is not tempting you with sins that he's putting in front of you. James 1, 13 through 15 says, when someone is tempted, we shouldn't say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, full grown, gives birth to death. Sometimes I, I hear arguments from uh, people who aren't believers, and they say, um, you know, God is, God is so messed up that he would, he would tempt you with this or that he's tempting me with this. And God isn't tempting anyone. We are tempted when we're led away by our own desires. It's what's, it's what's in me already, the fleshly nature in me, the fleshly nature in you, which is causing us to desire idolatry, desire sin. It's not coming from God. God is holy. He doesn't tempt. He can't be tempted. Temptation is common to everyone. Lastly, temptation is common to every, everyone, but it's easier to bear it when we walk through. It says no temptation has overtaken you except which is common. And I know sometimes we think, hey, no one else knows what I'm going through. No one else has struggled the way I've struggled. And I'm not downplaying that, but I'm saying there are people who have gone through what you're going through. There are people that struggle with the same things that you struggle with. And it's easier to bear those things sometimes when we come alongside one another. And that takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of vulnerability. But it's easier to bear through that weight when you have someone with you. Verse 14 now. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run away from it. I speak as to wise man. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not com uh, communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. Paul's saying, flee idolatry, run away from it. Earlier in, a, in uh, chapter 6, he says, flee sexual immorality. And now here he's saying, flee idolatry. You got to run away from it. I don't know, have it, has anyone ever like fled for their lives before? I feel like I have, but it, you know, not real. I like, it's just the, the lights were off, you know, I was scared of the dark. But you're like, hey, flee. We all know what it's like to be scared and, and to run, seemingly run for our lives. And that's the same thing that Paul is saying. With that intensity, we should flee from idolatry. We should flee from this sin. Why? Not because we're afraid of it. Not because we give in to fear over faith, but because we know how serious it is, but because we know that it's not honoring and glorifying God. And so we flee from it because, because it's not, it shouldn't be in our nature. 
Verse 23 now. Skip down. I'm trying to hustle through this. Verse 23 says, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify or build up. Let no one seek his own, but each one the, other, the other's well-being. Now, just because something's okay for you to do doesn't mean that it's the right thing to do. And what I mean by that is we all know that there are some areas of life that we have questions about that the Bible doesn't give a clear answer on. They're like kind of vague, like, what, what should I do in this situation? Well, there's no Bible verse to tell you that. A couple examples come to mind with this. Where, you know, where do we draw the line with what music that, that we listen to? You know, what is sinful to listen to versus what is not? Is there a line that we draw? You know, the lyrics of the song, the artists that we listen to, is there a line somewhere that we draw and say, well, yeah, it, I think it would be a sin to listen to this, you know, this song because it talks about this or because the, the artists, you know, they, they believe this. What about language? Profanity? Well, I don't know. A lot of it is cultural today. You know, if you're not insulting anyone, these are arguments that I hear. These are topics that I know that you guys think about that are kind of gray areas. What about just like overall just joking around and, and kind of being, um, you know, more like, you know, sarcastic and, and, and just making maybe crude jokes? Like, what do, we, what do we do with all this stuff that the Bible doesn't necessarily say, yeah, don't listen to this artist, don't listen to songs that have this many curse words in them, don't watch movies that are rated uh, R or above? Like, the Bible does not say those things specifically. So how do we know what to do? And Paul's saying here, all things may be lawful. You may be able to do it as a Christian. You may be able to do it, but is it helpful? You may be able to do it, but is it building up other people? It may be okay for you to do this, but is it going to cause somebody else, another believer, to sin? These are questions that we have to ask in these, in these areas that we're like, we're not sure because the Bible doesn't really give a clear answer. A couple things to think about with it is, do you look different than the culture? If you're, if you're asking a question, can I get away with doing blank? Does that look exactly like the culture? Because we're called to be different than the culture. James 1.27, we're supposed to be unspotted from the world, unstained, not polluted by anything in the world. So if the music that you listen to, if, if the, the shows that you watch, if, if the language that you use, if all of that looks exactly the same as everyone else in the world, are, are you polluted by the world? Search your own heart. I'm not here to, to pronounce judgment on any shows or music or anything, but judge for yourselves. Like, hey, is what I listen to, is what I expose myself to is it, can you distinguish me from, from uh, someone who's not a believer? These are questions that you should ask when you're, when you're not sure about these, these things that you have, maybe you have the freedom to do it as a Christian. It might be okay, but is it right for you to do those things? And Paul would always say, 
If there's, and the words, um, the words that Paul is writing through the Holy Spirit, if it causes someone else to stumble, it's definitely not okay. You know, one of the reasons why, there, there are many, but one of the reasons why I don't use profanity is because I serve in youth ministry. I'm around, I'm around you guys. There are other reasons, believe me, but one of the reasons is I don't want to set an example to someone younger than me that it's okay to do that. And hey, you know, maybe using, you know, some words is okay, but some isn't, you know, I, I don't know. But I don't want to give any appearance that it's okay because I don't want to cause anyone to go and live their life and say, well, you know, Alex did it, so I'm going to go ahead and do the same thing. And then you fall into sin because of something I did. And that's the argument that Paul is saying here. If you cause someone else to stumble by your own choices of freedom, that's not okay. That's not grounds for you to do that, do that thing. Lastly, let's close here. Verse, um, verse 31. Therefore, whatever you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Lastly, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, we talk about this word glory all the time in church. It's a very Christian word, but I don't think Definitely, I couldn't define it when I was in middle school. I doubt that many of you are able to define it. I still struggle with defining the glory of God. If someone asks me, I'm like, uh, I'll get back to you on that one. Um, but what is the glory of God? Two verses I want to share with you to help define what this is. Because it's great. It's real easy to know. Okay, do everything for the glory of God. Got that. Everything I do, that's pretty easy, for the glory of God. What is that? I don't know. Let's look. Two verses. What is the glory of God? First of all, it's, it's kind of easier to see it and describe it um, rather than just give a description of it. Like, you can recognize that's the glory of God, but it's hard to, like, actually describe it. But Luke 2, uh, verse 8 through 14, talks about the, um, the angels as they appeared to the shepherds before Jesus was born. You guys know this area of scripture. It says that the, the angels uh, appeared to the shepherds in the field, and their, uh, the glory of the Lord shone around them. So the glory of the Lord was visible when the angels showed up to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. And then they sing glory to God in the highest once they tell them, hey, good news, Messiah is coming. So there's something that glory is related to in the person of Jesus. They announced Jesus is going to be born. He's going to save the world from sins. And God's glory shone around them. And they sang glory to God. So glory, first, is something about Jesus' character. Jesus being revealed and proclaimed to the world. God's own son displaying himself to the world. There's something glorious about that. And secondly, John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, 
and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. And in John's gospel, he's now saying Jesus was revealed, we saw him, and we saw his glory. So you want to know what the glory of God is? Well, you need to look to Jesus because Jesus is, is, is a, a great display of God's glory. And what did Jesus do? It's not, it's not hard. It's not, it's not complicated. Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Jesus died on the cross and was raised again. Jesus loved the world. It says, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. So there's something about God's love being on display through the person of Jesus that is glorious. So translating that now to our own lives, how do you reflect Jesus? How do you imitate Jesus in this world? Well, the answer to that question is related to how are you displaying God's glory? Because they're connected. If you're, if you're acting Christ-like, if you are loving as Christ loved the world, if you are proclaiming the good news of the gospel as Christ did, then you're displaying the glory of God just as Christ displayed the glory of God. So I want to encourage you with, with this last, last point. The glory of God is anything that displays his perfect love and holiness. So you want to live for the glory of God, do everything for the glory of God. Frame that in how can I show his perfect love to the world? How can I show his holiness to the rest of the world? And I believe that it's in you and me walking after Christ, pursuing him and being like him that God's glory is revealed to the world through you and through me. And people are hungry for this. People are desperately desperate for something that's real, for something that they can look to, for something that's glorious, that's hopeful, that's loving. Guys, the world hurts. The world is in darkness and pain. And they're searching for something. They're searching for hope and meaning. And you and I, displaying God's glory to the rest of the world, man, what a powerful thing. Showing God's love, being God's tools that he uses to reach and save sinners. It sounds like something I want to do. I pray that it's our desire to do that. I pray that it's our goal to reflect his glory. Let's pray and close with worship.